0: And today's reading is from Luke chapter 19, and it's verses 28 to 48. And it's up on screen, and of course I can follow along on your own devices if you have it. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Well, what a difference a week makes. Um, I think we've seen that quite a lot in. Recent years, I've, I've mentioned before that we sub- subscribe to a, a weekly news digest magazine um, which summarizes the stories of the last seven days and how they've been reported. And it's fascinating how much the world can change between publications week on week. Good examples from last year were um, Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine, as Kenny mentioned in the press, of course, a, a year ago this week, um, the, the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Um, The leadership of the Conservative Party in this country, that changed quite a lot week on week. Nothing, of course, beats the um, early days going back to those very early days of COVID a few years back for rapid and dramatic weekly changes. A week is a powerful, it's a practical unit of time. It's used by schools for timetables, musicians for love songs. Think Sting, um, Craig David or the Bare Naked Ladies, take your pick. In fact, I thought about opening this talk by getting John to play one of those for us. Of course, the New Testament, um, the Old Testament uh, creation account also, this unit of a week. And in the story of Jesus, we have this week, known in the church as Holy Week, remembering when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he caused a stir, he instituted a memorial, was betrayed, arrested, tried, tortured, executed, and so the story goes, resurrected. And it's a week so significant that it's used by Western civilization as the kind of the hinge point of history. The events are so historic and profound that these weeks, this life and death of Jesus mark ground zero in our calendar. But what I found is that in the church, we hold this week in high regard. And yet when it comes to it, we rush through it. Um, in the midst of the school holidays and buying Easter eggs, we jump from Palm Sunday, Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, which we um, were looking at in our reading today, to Resurrection Sunday with all its celebrations and chocolates and confetti cannons. Do join us on Easter Day for those. Without the chance, really, to slow and to take in the incredible significance of the events between those two Sundays. So this year, we're spreading this story over of of that week over this period of Lent these 40 days leading up to Easter and we're going to look at some of the key movements of what has been called Jesus's passion and in the wider context of our our vision to be a church that is with Jesus and become like him and continue his mission doing what he did in the world today this term if you like is focused on the being with Jesus part of that so we've looked at practices in January and February that help us to be with Jesus and now we're considering what it means to be with Jesus on the road to the cross because he said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me so being with Jesus means walking with him to his death and resurrection just like his first disciples so we pick up the story today at the end of Jesus's long road to Jerusalem. Um, this part of the story, which starts in uh, chapter nine, when Luke tells us Jesus now resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Literally, it means um, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And now Jesus is coming from Jericho, um, I guess on the same road that he set the parable of the Good Samaritan on. And it's, um, it's about 20 miles From Jericho to Jerusalem, but Jericho is the lowest city on earth, and Jerusalem is on a hill. So, at the end of this long and eventful journey from chapter 9 in Luke, starting all the way up in um, Galilee, Jesus and his disciples are on this final leg of the tour to Jerusalem, and it's all uphill. And ahead of them is the Mount of Olives, where he'll pray before his arrest, with Bethphage and Bethany, the villages nestled just in front. And we know that Bethany was the home of some of Jesus' closest friends, so it's an obvious staging post. I was, um, I was also sort of taught that Jesus telling his disciples to go ahead and commandeer this, this donkey was a bit presumptuous or almost sort of miraculous that they'll just know. But actually the truth is, he was well known there, Jesus was well known in that village, um, and so the explanation that the, that the Lord needs it probably would have sufficed. He probably knew there was a donkey there and the people knew who he was. The disciples grab the donkey, they throw their cloaks on it, and Jesus is placed on the donkey. And as they approach the Mount of Olives, the crowds start throwing their cloaks uh, down on the ground and waving uh, palm branches and declaring, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Blessed is the King. This is what it's all about. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem as King. Now, interesting, he's not the first messiah to have done this it's actually a pretty standard practice at this time in israel's history um, quite a few proposed kings entered jerusalem in this manner in accordance with the old testament prophecies and what this tells us is that the crowd who at this point are on a real high they've completely misunderstood jesus's plan and luke shows us that throughout his gospel a few chapters earlier the Um, disciples are asking him if they can call down fire on people in a Samaritan village. There's an expectation of political insurrection, even a military coup, as God's justice is finally brought to bear on Israel's enemies and the Roman occupiers. Even when he's talking about his death, I wonder if the disciples kind of pictured some sort of heroic suicidal attack To take out Pilate or Herod um, like the zealots wanted and spark the revolution. And as he comes to Jerusalem, Jesus is carrying then the hopes of a nation, of a people, God's people. The forces are massed against him and he has come to conquer. That's the setup. That's what the crowd expect. Um, As you all know, or most of you know, I am a Luton boy. Um, I grew up there for the most part. Uh, Jess and I got married there. Um, Our eldest two were born there. Um, And I am a proud hatter. And uh, it used to be that sort of coming home, I remember growing up, coming home from a long day out, maybe visiting the grandparents. You come off junction 10 of the M1 and then you drive down into the valley. And as you did, Luton would just sort of open up. Before you, and you'd see the, the kind of the giant Vauxhall logo lit up um, on the on what was Europe's longest-running uh, vehicle factory, and you knew you were home. Uh, Nowadays, there is a big sign that says, Welcome to Luton, which somebody uh, last year hilariously parodied. I don't know if you saw this, but they put an identical Welcome to Luton sign in a private field um, on the final approach to Gatwick Airport, um, causing panic amongst thousands of people returning from their summer holidays. (laughs) Panic is what some people feel when they arrive at Luton, Um, which, which isn't totally surprising, if a little unfair. Um, But understandable if you're expecting to be on the other side of London. (laughs) Um, I always felt a sense of peace coming over that hill and seeing, um, you know, my hometown laid out before me. It meant I was home. Jesus comes round the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem opens up in front of him. And he starts weeping. The sight of his spiritual home, the home of his people, moves him to tears, tears of sorrow. If only even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. Sometimes we see this happening. A city, a nation being led to its doom by its leaders or its people. A nation taken to war on a lie; An earthquake devastating buildings that should have survived so hard to see disaster playing out before your eyes. And that's what Jesus sees when he looks. The future of Jerusalem destroyed by Rome in AD 70 um, as an example to rebellious cities. Um, That was an event that was probably fresh in Dr. Luke's memory as he compiled this account. So the first thing we see that's surprising is that this king comes with tears of sorrow. For this holy city on account of its doom linked to its rejection of him and his way of peace. And we'll come back to that. He goes to the temple, the cultural centre point of worship. And instead of tears now we have action. Um, He overturns the tables of those exploiting the poor. And plotting the kind of rebellion against Rome which the people thought King Jesus had come to bring. The cause of Jesus' earlier tears. And it's this that Jesus is ultimately... Um, down the road arrested for this is the irony of the religious leaders provoked to collude with their hated occupiers to rid themselves of Jesus the one who they had hoped would deliver them from Rome so the story for today ends here with the religious leaders trying to kill him but they can't because the people are hanging on his every word we're in Jerusalem and the scene is set So what do we make of Jesus' entrance and this sort of episode of tears and tables? Well, we're seeing Jesus' response to first um, a broken world, that's the tears, and a corrupted religious leadership, that's the table throwing. And I think it's worth dwelling on just both of those. And you know over the next few chapters, Jesus is going to speak some very harsh words of judgment. In fact, he already did in this passage, and we have to remember that those words of judgment are framed by these tears and weeping in his love for this city. In his love, he mourns deeply and profoundly. But when it's time for action, he doesn't hold back. In John's gospel, Jesus actually um, fashions a whip and drives the religious money changers out. Again, notice it's tears and compassion for the people. The trashing and anger is for the religious leaders. Vickers like me take note. I heard some teaching recently that talks about the kind of dysfunctional relationship we have with problems in the world today, it goes something a little bit like this. Once upon a time, if your house on your street caught fire, you would see that, or you'd hear the alarm, you'd experience the anxiety and the stress of it, and then you would do something about it. You would spring into action and do your best to put the fire out, most likely in cooperation with your whole neighborhood. So there's a a link there between the incident the emotional response and the action today in the digital world this isn't the same we see a news item about something bad and we feel anxiety but there's nothing we can do or perhaps we simply don't think of doing anything and instead we move straight on to the next story and the associated trauma from that and then on to the next and the next from earthquakes to war to missing persons to environmental disaster to political turmoil to global health crisis to mental health crisis to the cost of living crisis all in about five minutes and not in community but on our own we read and we experience emotion alone and we do nothing on repeat the link between incident and action is broken And that's not how it's meant to be. In a a weird way, I think the action is part of the catharsis of the emotion. And I I wonder if in some small way this is why we see people turning up to get involved in searches for missing people on the other side of the country. Because we are programmed to react to the emotions we feel when something bad happens. And yeah, I know there's a bunch of other stuff going on with that too. Um, All the kind of weird social media people that descended on that recent search in Lancashire but you know the weird thing when we um lived in Uganda the weird thing was that we felt so much safer not because we were safer far from it the road casualty stats were awful armed robbery was common there were more than a few nasty diseases and creatures that could do you some serious harm but we felt safer because we tended to know only what was going on in our local area which most of the time was not very much Um, apart from the three days when there were mass protests and the constant sound of machine gun fire in the background while we watched our nightly episode of The West Wing, um, which (laughs) happened to also be when Jess's little sister came out to visit us. Never go on holiday where Jess's little sister, there's always a disaster wherever she goes. There's a hurricane in New York and anyway, right. Back to the here and now. I seriously wonder if I would be so busy doom-scrolling down the top ten stories of the day, a.k.a. the ten worst things happening right now, looking at something halfway around the world or even the other end of the country that I fail to notice and react to that house that's on fire in my own road, if you get what I mean. It's unhealthy to consume anxiety-inducing news and do nothing. We're left uh, fruitlessly anxious and eventually we become hardened to what we see. By the way, this is not me saying that we shouldn't be aware of um, I care about the climate crisis or earthquakes in Turkey and Syria or war in Ukraine. But we should read, thinking prayerfully, what can we do? Because, the, I mean, the good thing is that the connected world means there are things that we can do, and that's great. But do you see the difference between the two? To bring it back to Jesus and his tears, which N.T. Wright says are at the core of the Christian gospel. Jesus' sorrow over suffering and a world so terribly broken, they then lead him into action because this is what he came to do. Second, note that Jesus' says, tears are not for himself, that will come later. He enters Jerusalem to a hero's welcome, but he's not bothered about losing that status. He's not motivated by what people will think of him. This kind of coronation procession will end with a crown of thorns. And a sign hung above him on the cross, mocking his royal credentials. But nevertheless, Jesus is counting the cost. His way is not the way of insurrection and rebellion. That much is obvious from his clearing the temple courtyard of this den of rebels. He has come to bring revolution and overturn the world order. But his revolution is coming in the form of total self-sacrifice, He is the only one who's going to get hurt in all this. The answer to the problem that he perceives comes entirely at his own cost. And this is a truly revolutionary idea today. When we looked at the practice of community, we are saying community a lot, we looked at the practice of community back in January. We talked about um, tribalism as a kind of modern digital age shadow equivalent to community. Community is based on what we are for. Tribalism is focused around what we are against. So much has been made recently of cancel culture and our rush to vilify, punish anyone who we deem out of step. Society looks at brokenness and seeks to find a cause, identify a cause and, critically, a culprit. doesn't matter who as long as it's not me and we can all agree on it. That's mob mentality. And then we attack. The way of the cross says, there's the broken place. There I go. Not to break others, but to give of myself to bring healing and goodness. To redeem even those who the world has written off or considers unworthy. In Jesus' time, it was the Roman occupiers, led by Herod and Pilate in Judea. Cancel them, kill them, overthrow them, the people said. Jesus said, this is my body, given for you and for them, whoever they might be. But I'm jumping ahead to next week now. But just to finish with a thought about the crowd, you know, of course it's tempting to be with Jesus when the going is good, uh, when he's popular. Um, singing blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord when it's trending but contrary to some teaching it's unlikely that it was the same crowd who welcomed jesus as king who called for his execution days later they are two different crowds but we know that the faithful disciples melted into the background when being associated with him became unpopular or even dangerous i took uh, nathan and matthew to their first Luton game uh, on boxing day And uh, it was a stunning and unexpected last-minute victory uh, after being reduced to 10 men over a Norwich team packed with Premier League talent. Um, In one sense, it was the perfect first game because Matthew is at the age where he just desperately wants to be associated with a winner. Um, But because of that, he's had a bit of a rough ride since, particularly after we lost 3-0 to Grimsby in the Cup. (laughs) And... You know, he's been trying to work out which team he can follow that will spare him the pain of ever losing. (laughs) Um, To which I say, good luck with that. (laughs) Only to say, at the outset of this series, we need to get comfortable with the idea that to walk with Jesus to the cross is to trade the rapturous welcome for something that looks very much like defeat. We need to follow Jesus' example of shedding tears and turning tables when appropriate. But ultimately to know that the end game is a cross and to be prepared to give of ourselves completely, that's his answer to a broken world. Two billion Christians in the world. Imagine the difference if we took that really seriously. Two billion people weeping for the brokenness and giving themselves in love for their neighbour, even those whose society has written off impassive, non-violent, self-sacrificing resistance to all that is evil and broken. And walking with Jesus to the cross means not fearing the worst that people can do to you. Because the message of Holy Week is that sin and evil and death won't have the final word in any case. The cross is not the end of the story. A glorious resurrection awaits.